You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. We've got an interesting pod for you today. We're going to talk about USC's new additions on the coaching staff, and we're going to have some trivia Ooh, trivia yeah, time. time. Shotgun has done a season total of his participation charts. So he has some some nifty data that we're going to talk about and maybe trivia myself about. I don't know yeah, how you say And then, of course, we're going to take your questions. We got some questions this week, Shotgun, which is fun. So we'll go into the feud mailbag, if you will. But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Shotgun, we got some more news this week. Here at uscfootball.com, we did report the news on Monday, but it officially came out on Tuesday. Uh, USC made it officially official. Uh, They have a new running backs coach. And a defensive line coach. Yeah, and uh, you know, these are two hires where USC went out and got, I mean, Mike Jinks is a former head coach at Bowling Green. He's a guy that's worked under Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, and those two guys had their probably their best success individually when they were together. Uh, I, I think that you uh, you look at Texas Tech's first season with, with Cliff Kingsbury was his best record-wise. They also produced a 1,500-yard know, rusher uh, in DeAndre Washington, I believe his name was. Uh, while he was there. So those two have worked together. This also gives USC a little bit more uh, inroads into Texas recruiting. USC has not recruited Texas pretty much at all the last three seasons. You know, since uh, Ronald Jones and Akasajic Ware both came to USC together from Texas, you know, USC has really not had any, you know, recruits from the Texas area. They pretty much just let that go, you know, not even really worried about it. It's kind of like, you know, Florida, where Florida was a little bit of a pipeline for USC with, you know, grabbing one or two big guys every year. Haven't really done that the last few years. I mean, the last guys were, you know, besides Jacob Lichtenstein, who was a you know underrated guy, you had Jamel Cook and, and Pai Young, and neither one of those guys has really done too much at USC so far. So this gives USC an opportunity to get back in to the Texas landscape, I think. And, you know, I think you have, I think it's good to bring in some players from around the country and have some different, you know, uh, players from different areas because different areas usually bring kind of different strengths. You know, you, you always talk about the, the, the South defense alignment and how they're bigger, sturdier when they're coming into college. You go get a guy like Trevor Trout, who's already 300 something pounds and, you know, is, is a, is a big dude. Now you just got to teach him about the fundamentals, get him, you know, up to speed on the other stuff. And he should be a guy that can participate and, uh, you know, play some next year for USC rather than some of the smaller D linemen that you usually grow out here from the West coast. So I think, you know, being able to go to Texas and get some guys will be big for them. And then on the defense, of line, you know, the guys that's going to be, you know, coaching up Lichtenstein and Trevor Trout next year is Chad Kauha Aha Ah. It's a tough one. I'll get, you know, eventually we'll get it, you know, down like you Lele, you know, it'll be nice and smooth coming off the tongue, but, you know, it'll take a couple times. But it does. Chad K, as he's known for short, you know, coming from Boise State, he's been there. He's been at Washington before, been at Oregon State before. So he knows the Pac 12. He's recruited against USC before. He's, he's uh, coached under Dave Aranda at, Wa- at Wisconsin. I think that's really big. Um, I think that he's going to bring some knowledge and maybe a different uh, you know, type of, coaching then maybe connect you daisy we'll see when we get to see them up close and you know how he kind of goes about his business but another uh polynesian coach so that helps you there when you're recruiting uh, you know polynesian defense alignment like jay tefele and brandon peely and those guys i think i think they're probably looking forward to it you know we, when you get a new coach you you hope that there's something similar 
to you, you know, whether it be from where you're at or, you know, uh, you know, your background or whatever it may be, something you can connect with quickly so that you can go ahead and start creating that relationship. And I think that is a, a bonus with the defensive line makeup currently. Uh, I, I think that that will help them there. And I just think that both of these are, are pretty good hires as far as going out and finding somewhere, someone somewhere, somewhere else rather than looking within and guys that you've coached with before. I thought it was a good job by USC. Now, granted, Cliff Kingsbury has coached with Mike Jinks, but I think for Clay Helton, these are guys that he's not familiar with necessarily, but guys that come with pretty good reputations from their previous stops. Yeah, that was supposed to be a little quick intro, but you covered it all. Shotgun Spradling, <laughs> there you go. No, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, I had said this on the Parastyle podcast pre- uh, earlier this week. I just think it's such a great thing to have fresh blood in the system. You know, having guys who can come in and be like, this is how we did it here. This, we had success doing this here. And, and you know, if it's a new look to USC's coaching staff, which before, I think even from starting from Lane Kiffin, that era, there's still people that hung on, hung on, that kept the same type of identity. And so having new faces like this, I think is just a, a good thing for the program. And all three don't really have uh, Clay Helton connections. Two of the three were head coaches at some point. I think all of that helps having the resume and experience versus a guy who's trying out the position to coach there for the first time. Uh, that's not something you do at USC. So I'm glad that these are at least they had the resume. But as far as Mike Jinks, how much does that help Cliff if he has someone that he knows coming in to bolster this offense? I, I think there's a familiarity there. I, I think he knows what he's going to be getting, and um, I, I think that helps him in that regard. Also, you know, running backs coaches, they they don't do a ton as far as game planning and stuff normally, but I think he's a guy that since he's worked with Cliff Kingsbury is a guy he can turn to and say, what do you think about this? You know, I think that having that familiarity, and, and this is the thing, you know, we, we talked about how these coaches are outside hires for Clay Hilton. Familiarity is not a bad thing, yeah. but when you go five and seven, you need to bring in fresh blood. So I think it was a good move at the time to bring in these guys. And I think their experience, you know, previous experience, you know, having two guys that have been head coaches, to help maybe look at things from an outside perspective and say, yeah, maybe you need to go a little bit harder in practice. Maybe you need to change something up here. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a complete overhaul, but I, I think that they can put in, give input that will, you know, potentially help out the team in, in positive ways and you know give a different look than you know it being someone that you're familiar with or someone that you've worked with before and you already know what they do. So you're not going to come in and say, hey, that's not something I would do before. This is what we did. So I think it can give fresh ideas and fresh blood, and I think that could be good. You know, if, if you go 5-7, and seven, you need to change some things. And I yeah. think this is a great opportunity for that to happen. Uh, you know, I think that you'll see – and a lot of times with players, now it helps when if you don't have six offensive line coaches in six years or whatever, yes. five years or whatever it was, uh, the ridiculous thing at that position – you know, some continuity does help in that regard, but it also helps, you know, for second or third year guys that have been with KU for a couple of years to get a, you know, a fresh perspective and someone that focuses on maybe something else that may boost their game a little bit higher. Uh, and they've already got that, you know, that base with, with Kenneth U Daisy. And now maybe, you know, maybe he focuses on one thing and, and Chad K focuses on something else and you put those two together and the player gets even better. So I think it can, it can benefit some of the older players too, to get some, some, uh, you know, a new perspective on things like that. And a lot of times, and you, I mean, I talked to recruits, you, 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 the guys that understand the system understand, Hey, Coaches come and go. That's how it happens. Your position coach is probably going to change. There is a very good likelihood that your position coach will change while you're in college. Yeah. 
So, which is part of the reason why you don't get, you know, enamored just with the coach itself instead of the school and everything else that goes along with it. But I think when you have a change, how do you take that? How do you grow from that? If the players can grow from that, this can be a very positive thing, I think, for them. Yeah, agreed. So overall, if you if you look at the coaching staff now, how do you think they've done so far with overall moves? You know, I, I think the the you know, if you're going to make changes, I think going out and getting two guys that are previous head coaches, I think that's big. I think that's really big. And, you know, the, the potential of the fresh perspective and the fact that you've gone outside of the, you know, the USC, the Clay Helton, you know, uh, you know, circle of love, if you want, uh, you know, since he's <laughs> got, a, yeah, something like that. Circle of life, circle of love, whatever it makes. Uh, but I think the fact that you're going outside the circle and, and going and finding people that are well regarded by others, I think that's big. Yeah. And you know, you've seen you know, you've seen some of the uh, tweets and stuff about you know uh, Chad K from Boise, and they're really you know appreciative of the time he spent there. And you see some some tweets and stuff from Mike Jinks' time in Texas, actually. And you see you know even Malcolm Brown, one of the Rams running backs who played for Jinks in high school. You know, he, you know, excited about his coach, former coach coming to L.A. now. And you see that, uh, you know, that people from Texas have really high regard of him. Not necessarily so much in Bowling Green because he struggled there as a head coach. First time head coach going to a different climate. I don't think that was the right move necessarily for him. Uh, and maybe we'll talk to him about that in the future and see what he took away from that. Because I think that is something of interest. When, when coaches fail or players fail, what do you learn from it? So I'm interested to have that conversation with him eventually, uh, and also, you know, with, with uh, Coach Kingsbury. You know, what happened at Texas Tech? Why yeah. did you not succeed there when he's been so successful as a player and stuff, and as an offense coordinator? Why not work out for him? And is that somewhere where he want to go back? You know, as an alma mater, if you know, 20 years down the road, he gets another chance, and you go back. Interesting. Maybe it's different. You know, that's like Lane Kiffin. If Lane Kiffin, 20 years down the road, <laughs> do people forget what happened 10 oh. years ago now? And he's super successful. People are like, yeah, come back to USC now. They're yeah. already saying that. That's a little too premature. Yes, no, it's premature, but people are already saying that. So, but I didn't think we'd get back to Link Kevin. I know. This Who knows? But, but uh, it's just kind of the thing that, that that uh that's one of the things I'm interested to hear from him. And you know, maybe we'll hear from Clay Helton next week. You know, at the because we have early signing period. Maybe he'll talk a little bit about the new hires and stuff. We'll see. Don't know for sure if that's going to happen. We hope so because we'd like to hear you know what his opinions about him besides the one paragraph uh, in the Cliff Kingsbury press release. There was there was nothing even from Clay Helton in the uh, in the position coach. Yeah. I don't believe. Well, we haven't talked to Clay Helton since the Notre Dame game. And it's, that's what happens at the end of the yeah. year. I mean, the Cotton Bowl. We didn't hear from him again for a month and a half, and that was till signing day. So it went True. from January, you know, was it December thirtieth until you know February fifth or whatever it was yesterday last year. So you know that's what happens at the end of the season. It happens, USC, but I'm just it's just interesting that we've gone this long and there's been so many changes. I'm I'm curious how many questions at early signing day is about like the actual staff. You never know, uh, and you know maybe he comes out and has says. I'm just talking about this. I'm not talking about anything yeah. else. Who knows? But uh, you know, it's it's kind of the way the off season works because you don't have a lot of you know opportunities to speak with the coaches and stuff. And hey, these guys are out recruiting. They don't have time to you know just sit down and have a radio show every week. I don't necessarily think unless Clay Helton's going to make a call from in uh, Siaki Ika's uh, house or something when he's on his in home visit there, or whatever it may be. So. That seems like some type of violation. Not sure. <laughs> I mean, they could probably do it on the private jet they've been flying around on. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. Private jets are nice. Plays um, and dominoes. But speaking of early signing day, you want to make sure that you, you're up to date. And what else, what other site will keep you up to date besides USCFootball.com? This is a very cheesy plug, but we're having <laughs> a buy one, get one sale. You buy one month, you get one free. 
premium boards, the pair style. Come join us. We're all there. It's a fun party. You can see things that Gerard's saying. Gerard giving us the inside scoop before early signing day. So there you have a little plug. Better hurry up and jump on that, that deal, though. And the war room. Hey, I do it every Friday. Come join me. <laughs> I know. I keep her up late at night by sending it in at 3 or 4 in the you morning. You send it to me at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm pretty consistent, though. Consistently bad. Wow. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, moving on from the cheesy plug. Um, <laughs> anything else about the assistant coaches? There's not much we can say besides uh, until we see some action or we hear from them, right? Hey, and the one thing that I've noted about these two guys is the day they were hired, they were in recruits' houses. That's something you have to do if you make these high, and that's the uh, you know part of what is the transformation of the game now with the early signing period being in December. If you make changes to your staff. And especially if you make them out to the regular season, as USC did, because they don't have a bowl game. But if you make changes to your staff, you need to go out and try to hire replacements as soon as you can because of how important recruiting is and the fact that there is a short window before you start the early signing period. So good for those guys to get out there and good for USC. You got them on the road as quickly as they could to try to, you know, uh, you know, woo some of the recruits to, to build on USC's class. Yeah, it's interesting how that early signing day really changes things and is essentially becoming the national signing day. It will eventually. Yeah. You've said it here on this podcast many times. Oh, man. Shall we move into the participation chart? Sure, if you want to. So, you know, every week I look, go through the broadcast view of the game and try to chart, you know, who is on the field at every play. I also look at, you know, the formations USC uses, a bunch of different stuff. We're going to talk too much about the formations. That'll be maybe next week. I've got another story that I've just been di- deep diving into numbers. You know, I spent like eight hours in a row working on charts for, for no good reason, <laughs> except to bring you guys all this stuff eventually. But uh, we'll have all, you know, what how USC did in the pistol, how they did in the shotgun, how they did under center, how they did in this formation, that formation, what, how many times they were in the nickel, how many times base, all that stuff. All you data nerds out there. Yeah, we'll have all that next week for anybody who cares. <laughs> but this week, we're looking at just the straight participation numbers. How much did each player play? And, you know, were they using offense, defense, special teams, all those type things? Who didn't play? How much is USC losing now? So we're going to play a little trivia. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Because I have all the numbers, and you have actually not looked at my chart yet. So, I have not. Because you're lazy. <laughs> How dare you? Wow. I thought about trivia, and I was like, you know what? I'll keep me fresh. Okay, that's what it was. <laughs> exactly. So you do know that the most total snaps this season is? It's Austin Jackson. It is Austin Jackson, indeed. So Austin Jackson uh, you know, played at least, I think it was 70 snaps per game. Per game that he played. Total snaps now. Uh, so that includes offense and special teams for him. So he finished with uh, you know almost 80 snaps per game. He, he averaged 79.8 snaps uh, per game on the season and finished total with 958. Now, 958 sounds like a lot, but there were several players with over 1,000 last year, but that's because USC had multiple more games than this. True. Two more games than True. this year. But his number is very high. You know, almost 80 games, or almost 80 snaps per game is really high. But let's look at, since you already saw that one on Twitter, I did, but I also knew it. Since you already saw that one on Twitter. Uh, who had the most offensive snaps per game, though? Just offense, not not special teams, just offense. Hmm. And people at home can play, too, so I'll give some some thinking time. Um, is this a trick question? Could be. I don't know. Is it Austin Jackson again? It is not Austin Jackson, oh, but no. close. It is actually Chris Brown. Interesting. So Chris Brown played 65.8 snaps per game. Austin Jackson played 65.5 snaps per game. So okay. really close. So just okay. a couple more snaps. So now let's go defense. The most defensive snaps per game. See, my inkling is Cam Smith, but he was injured, so I'm going to say nah on that one. But it's per game. Oh, per game. Per game. 
Can I say Iman Marshall? As a close guess, he finished with 66.3 snaps per game, but the number one overall on defense was Marvell Tell at 71 snaps per game. I know Cam Smith probably would have been up there with those guys. Both, all three of those guys played almost every snap every game yeah. when they were in there. But Cameron Smith, you remember the Utah game, he played eight snaps at the beginning of the game. So that ruins his, his per snap uh, percentage there. Let's go to special teams. So this right. one's an interesting one. Okay. Because I, you know everybody thinks about offense, defense, all that guy's on the field all the time, but you don't ever pay attention maybe to who's on sp- all the special teams. Austin Jackson. That is incorrect. Would you like one more guess? This is a difficult one. I'll give you two guesses. Again, in the Notre Dame game, USC only had 26 special team snaps because the lower scoring game, less possessions, some of those lengthy drives, and some turnovers. But uh, in the Arizona State game, this player played in 32, which is an incredible number for me. I'm going to go random and say Vivai, Malvei. That is also incorrect. The correct answer is Ruben Peters. Oh. Who was your special teams player of the year for USC in their awards yesterday, which is fitting. Uh, he he played in 21.2 Special team snaps a game. Wow. That's a lot of snaps per game. Like, you're going to play 20 snaps automatically. Elijah Winston, actually, he only played in four games, but he was in there a lot. He was uh, almost at 20 snaps, and Hunter Eccles at 19.1. And special team snaps can kind of be, you know, something that's forgotten, but those are important as well. And sometimes those for those young guys, those are precursors to guys that will break out the next season. Because you get that opportunity on special teams, you know, you get used to the speed of the game, especially your first year. So a guy like Elijah Winston, who's now he's going to be a redshirt freshman still, so he's technically still, you know, just redshirting. But that extra opportunity to to see the speed of the game and get adjusted to it, Michael Pittman, for instance, his freshman year, you know, those guys a lot of times they'll break out that next year afterwards. So maybe those are two guys to to watch for. Elijah Winston and Hunter Eccles both had you know nearly over 19 snaps per game. So I just thought that was interesting on special teams. Here's one for you, though. Three players that have participated previously before this season that did not play at all this season. At all? At all. That did not play this season. One of them is Daniel Amatabebe. That one's the obvious one. Um, hmm. Wale Batiku. Wale, Wale Batiku, yes. Wale, Wale got Batiku. got an assist from Ryan Abraham on that so one. So, obviously, those both guys had hip injuries, were both out for the year. One other one is Pi Young. Keyshawn Young played, but he has not played in two years though now. Okay. So he played two years ago as a cornerback, and that was he played. A question. You then. know, he played nine career games. He played eighty total snaps on so some special teams and stuff. Did not play last year as he made the conversion from cornerback uh, to receiver, but didn't play at all this year. Kind of, kind of interesting. Now USC is actually losing a lot. Obviously, obviously they're losing a lot. Uh, you know, some some big time guys off that defense are leaving. So you know, you're losing your center. You're losing your uh, left uh, guard. Um, you're going to have to replace some big pieces on this team, right? So how many players will USC lose that have participated in 1,500 or more career snaps? Now that's less than 400 a year. And for example, Malik Dorton has played 466 and 437 snaps the last two years. So it's not a huge number. I was giving you Malik Dorton because Malik Dorton, do you think that he's played a ton? Not necessarily, but he's played 466 and 437. Those are above the numbers you would need per year, but in 1,500 snaps or more. I'm going to say 23. That is not correct. A little <laughs> bit less than that. You have 10 players that have played this many in the last four years. Now, I only have data going back four years long. This is how long I've been doing this, so I don't have for your Toa Lobanon and Jenny Harris who played a little bit their freshman years, don't really have those numbers. You know, The, the fifth-year guys, I don't have numbers on them, but of the guys the last four years, you had 10 different guys, uh, you know, 
some guys everywhere from Isaiah Langley, who's played at least, you know, almost 200 snaps per year. He's went up to 700 or something this year. Chuma Doga, Port Augustine, Tyler Petit, uh, Iman Marshall, Cameron Smith, Marvell Tell, Chris Brown, Toa Lobanon, Jenny Harris. Some big names the USC is going to have to replace. Now, I just told those in a, in a different order, just so you didn't know the answer to this, but do you know who had the greatest number of snaps played the last four years? So which one of those seniors played the greatest number of snaps? Cam Smith. It's incorrect. What? He would have if he wouldn't have got hurt Total his freshman year. Toa Lobadon. Also incorrect. He only oh. played 55 his, his, this is the last four years. Now, Toa might be up there with his oh, freshman year that okay. I don't have the numbers for, unfortunately. Iman Marshall. Oh, yeah. So Iman Marshall played 3,247 snaps the last four years, and he aver- that's an average of 811 snaps per year. That's a lot of snaps for a guy. That's what you're going to be losing on the outside with Iman Marshall. Just consistent guys been out there. I mean, he, last year was his le- the least amount he had played this season. I mean, in a season, which was 679. So that's still a lot, considering Isaiah Langley this year played 731. So his number is almost as comparable to Isaiah Langley's, the, the most that Isaiah Langley has played. So you're going to be losing guys like Cameron Smith, who played 1,000 snaps last year. Marvell Tell played 1,000. Chris Brown played 1,000. So those are big-time guys are going to have to replace. So you know, every year you have to replace guys, but USC is using, losing a lot of experience this year. That class that came in, uh, you know, particularly Iman Marshall, Cameron Smith, Marvell Tell, those guys came in together, and those guys almost play, all played uh, you know, over 3,000 snaps. So... You know, it's going to be big time, uh, big vacancies left for USC to fill. So who's going to slide in those spots and who's going to get, because there's going to be a lot of snaps to go around in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting how much your participation charts illuminate that, because as you can tell from my answers, it's hard if you're just watching it to get a guess about the actual contributions of people. But you have direct data to point to. (laughs) So you guys can check those out on on the site as well if you are a member. Uh, and more the, reason, BOGO. Come on, guys. Uh, and so USC to to give a number to get to quantify how many snaps they're losing. Now, again, granted, last four years this does not count the fifth year seniors their first year. That's not too many snaps over there. But the guys that are leaving, and not counting anybody that may transfer out or anything, still they're losing twenty seven thousand snaps, almost twenty eight thousand snaps that have been played over these guys' careers. USC's returning 22,940. So they're losing more than half of their the snaps that have been played the last four years are going to be gone. But how much could you argue that the reason why those returning their snaps are low are because of the guys who are leaving? I mean, it's part of it, definitely. And part of it is that, you know, how much you've rotated at positions and the fact that USC hasn't been able to blow out anybody to get some guys some True. extra opportunities. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But I'm just pointing out that they are losing a lot of career snaps. There's going to be some inexperienced guys playing next year. Yeah, I mean, if you think of the likes of Biggie, Cam, and Marvell Tell leaving, that's foundations of each position group gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at the secondary in particular. Yeah. The secondary in particular. Now, a bunch of guys got to play this year because of the injuries and different things at the safety position, but Marvell Tell's gone. Iman Marshall's gone. So is Ajene Harris. So is Isaiah Langley. So is Jonathan Lockett. And Jonathan Lockett's a guy that, you know, we forget about, but, I mean, he played 817 snaps the last three years. I mean, uh, three of the last four years. So that's, you know, five guys in the secondary that you're losing something like uh, like 4,000, 5,000 snaps on total. So if you're returning 22,000, you know, there's not many of those coming in the secondary. Makes sense. Any other tidbits from your participation charts? Or should we go to the, the feud mailbag? Let's go for it. 
Alrighty, we have a question from Jeff Foster who says, Do you know how Cliff Kingsbury used tight ends in his system? If used sparingly, do we risk losing our two committed tight ends, Ethan Ray and Jude Wolf, to another program that would actually use them a la Stanford? So Texas Tech in the last couple of years, the tight end was an apparition, uh, a ghost, a phantom. It, w- it was there occasionally. Maybe you saw it you know, late at night or something, but it was very rarely used. Uh, so they did not use it. Dante Robinson, I, I think it's his name, uh, was the most commonly used guy, and he played less than you know Josh Follow or Eric Cromenhook. He was playing pretty much the same as those guys were the last two years. So basically what were backup snaps for USC – you know, backup and, uh, and third string snaps for USC is what he was equivalent to. But Cliff Kingsbury's first year when he took over at Texas Tech, he had Jason Morrow. Now, Jason Morrow ended up setting pretty much every tight end record that there was. I mean, he was outstanding his one season with Cliff Kingsbury. He uh, he was fantastic. He, he won the Mackey Award. You know, he, he started the season great and, and just continued. He was, I mean, he had, I think, 100 and trying to find the number here, but he had over 100 catches as a tight end, and USC's tight ends caught, what, like 14 this season, I think it was? I mean, the number was ridiculously low. So they will he will use the tight end. However, it's not going to be your traditional hand-in-the-ground tight end every single snap like USC used most of the time. Uh, they will split out the tight end, and that I think that bodes well for a guy like Josh Fowler, who can catch the ball, you know, over the middle, can be a you know a matchup guy in the middle of the field, especially when you spread things out. So they're going to use the tight end, and and Cliff Kingsbury has done a really good job, you know, throughout his course uh, of his career as an offense coordinator and head coach at, at Texas Tech of highlighting his best players. Finding ways to use so it's not just his system. Like, all right, it doesn't matter who the running back is. The running back's going to be really good, or the running back's going to be terrible, or the tight end's going to be really good, or the tight end's going to be no. It's whoever is the best players. He's going to highlight them. Find ways to create matchups to get those guys in space, get them guys one on one, whatever it may be. I watched some t- tape of Jay Samaro and how they used him uh, in a couple of games, and you know they did a lot of different things with him. So I think if he sees. Josh Follow or Eric Cromenhook or one of those young guys you just mentioned that are you know uh, committed currently, if he sees them as a matchup guy and he can exploit different matchups against teams, you know against safeties, against linebackers, I think you'll see the tight ends uh, used even much more than they are currently in the USC system. Versus, and you look at him and be like, well, they're never going to use the tight end based on the last two years. But if you look a little bit farther back, I think it shows that he will use tight ends and he will use them to his advantage if he has guys he thinks can, can get open and create matchup problems. And if you actually read The War Room, we had a little tidbit there, I believe, last week where uh, before Cliff Kingsbury was even announced, Clay Helton actually met with Jude Wolf and kind of calmed his his fears about, hey, if you have this guy come in, what happens to my position? So apparently Jude Wolf feels good about it, um, according to our reporting. So that's a little fun tidbit. Uh, we have a question from Christian Chapman who says, what would it take for SC to really make a strong push for those that are still undecided or can be quote unquote flipped on December 19th? P.S. What size hat do you wear, Shotgun? I wear seven and three-eighths hats, and I've got to get a custom hat made. So I'm going to be looking for a designer. If anybody is a designer out there, shoot us an email. i got to get a custom logo designed for, for a special hat I'm, I'm getting. What would it take for USC to make a really strong push for those that are still undecided? You know, I, I think the fact that you now have position coaches for some guys, I mean, the, the two running backs you have, you need to lock those guys up. If you're looking at anybody else, if you're looking for a different type of running back, because you're kind of you're low on numbers at running back right now. So you got to get some more guys to boost that position up. 
Um, I think the fact that you have a running backs coach now, you have a defense line coach. If you want to go after Siaki Ika and guys like that, then you've got to have a position coach. It's yeah. very difficult to go out and get a big time guy. If you remember Rashawn Gary, the number one prospect, and is going to be a, probably a top five pick this year that went to Michigan uh, from New Jersey, he came on an official visit to USC, and USC did a pretty good job with him, but they had no they had no position coach at the time. Kenechi Daisy was you know hired a little bit later. And it's hard to pull in a top-tier guy that's getting contacted all the time by these schools and getting all this mail. And you know, some schools will be like, oh, we sent you 256 pieces of mail today because 256 stitches on a baseball or something. I don't know. It's like, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, they'll find some weird thing and like they'll send you a ton of this stuff. And you you see all the pictures of guys like, you know, for the newspapers and stuff where a guys laying on a bed and like he's got mail everywhere surrounding him and, and you, you see it on these documentaries where they have like the qb1 documentary where there's just like crates of mail they're sitting out in the in the garage and stuff well this is inside baseball kristen and chris trevino and i are, are filming an inside look of uh munir mclean um and we asked his mom like hey can you give us like we just want to see some of the letters he got like during his recruiting process she comes out with this huge box and is like boom this is Munir's. And then she was like, I have Abdul Malik's too. And we were like, wow, it was like, <laughs> like this whole thing. And, and not a, nothing against those guys, but those aren't necessarily national recruits. Sure. Like a guy like yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau, who has Florida state and LSU and those teams that are hot on his, his, uh, his tracks right now. Those guys have, you know, are, it's just constant spammed, constant. Sp- I mean, it's spammed through your DMS, it's spammed through text or whatever. Whenever coaches have an opportunity to, you know, get in touch with them and they're uh, able to through the, you know, the open periods rather than the dead periods, you know, they are constantly trying to earn favor of these. And some guys love that. And some guys hate that. And the coaches, that's one of the things as a coach, you have to be able to read, you know, does Sean Ryan like it when you contact him all the time? It apparently did not. So you got to be able to read that situation and understand, you know, the dynamics that are at play. And that's one of the tough things about recruiting because you're not, but then you also have to win over the mom, you know, win over the dad, the grandma, whoever is the decision maker. As Ed Orgeron, you know, has said, I think famous, I think it was in uh, the blind side uh, movie was about how he had to go, you go and win the decision maker. That's who you have to, you got to win the kid, but you also got to win the decision maker. Mom, always the mom. Mom's not always the decision maker though. But if, if the mom doesn't like you, I've heard that from other coaches. No. Like, if the mom doesn't like you, it's game it is, over. And well, it depends because you can have situations where there was a commit who went to UCLA not too long ago, and it was a father. the The parents were split up, and one school was going after the mother, one school was going after the father, and you, you kind of have to figure out who's the final decision maker there. And sometimes, if you know you can't get in with one side, then you try the other side or whatever it may be. So there's a lot of dynamics that go into recruiting. That's a, that's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit of sausage uh, making the sausage there, but. To get back to the question, I think the fact that they brought in some position coaches, I think that will help them, but it's going to be really tough because, you know, basically those coaches were hired two days ago on the 11th. That was when they released the announcement. They have eight days for those position coaches necessarily to say, hey, swing over here. I know I haven't been talking to you much, but then again, hey, these coaches might have been talking to guys already, and they've got their guys that they like already, and, you know, maybe – Chad K was up at Boise and was like, man, I really love that guy, but I know he's not going to come to Boise. But I'm going to still talk to him because who knows if I get another job. So you know, there's a lot of dynamics to go along with it. I, I think that the thing that USC just has to continue to sell USC, sell the academics, sell Clay Helton, you know, being the guy that you know, all the parents love and that type of thing. But it's, it's tough to come in and in a week try to change something that's been brewing for basically three years. Yep. Because these coaches have been talking to these kids at least for, for the big-name kids for at least three years. Yeah. Mark Mogul, 
He says, love the podcast and what you both bring to it. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Uh, he says, for, he has a couple of questions. First, how much autonomy does it appear Kingsbury will have? In my opinion, he needs to have complete autonomy of the, with the offense. I think the fact that you saw Mike Jinx as a hire, the first hire on that offensive staff, I think that tells you a lot about how much autonomy he has. Now, when it gets into play calling, I think Cliff Kingsbury wouldn't have came to USC if he didn't think that he had complete autonomy of the, the play calling. However, I, I think that Clay Helton still is going to be able to say, hey, let's try a trick play right here. Or, hey, let's do that. I think he's still going to have input, and I think he's obviously going to be in those meetings when they are you know, you know, lining up the, uh, you know, the offensive game plan and stuff. And their offensive game plans have been really good. Their offensive game plans were great this season. It was the problem was once adjustments were made in game, they didn't make enough adjustments to counteract what the defenses were doing. Uh, so I, I think USC, they started strong in a lot of games and then faded a lot. They saw That Notre Dame offensive game plan was great. But when Notre Dame changed and started doing some zone blitzes and stuff, USC didn't do quite enough to, to change their offense to be able to continue to put up points and well, continue to drive the ball. They didn't put up enough points in the first half when they had opportunities, but they, they were driving the ball really well. Similar to you know the UCLA game, you got to be able to punch it in, so you got to have yeah. that game planning in the red zone. But I, I think you, that Clay Helton's going to be a part of that, definitely. It's not just going to be Kingsbury, but when it comes to the play calling itself during games, I think that's when Cle, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is going to be in, in charge of everything. Yeah, he should be. I don't think he would have come if it wasn't the case. No, you're not going to – like he was the most high-profile assistant coach of this cycle. Yeah. He's not going to be like, yeah, I'll come there. You can do, you can tell me whatever you want me to do. No, yeah. you're yeah. not going to come where you're not going to be in charge. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. Uh, he has a second question. Any updates on Ivan Lewis being replaced as strength and conditioning coach? Seems like conditioning players differently. He put in parentheses or at all winky face on offense will be important with the air raid. Any other coaching updates? That's three questions, Mark. That's a lot. In one, <laughs> one question. Uh, no, we have no updates on Ivan Lewis. He's going to be the strength and conditioning coach unless until we're told otherwise. We have not even heard any rumors of him being replaced at this moment. So, no, we're not even going to speculate about who could be there because there's no job opening. Seems like conditioning players differently. This is the most important part of this entire question that Mark sent us, or a couple of questions. With the air raid offense, and if you want to go with that super speed tempo, that is something that's going to have to start in January. When the players re- return from Christmas break, that's where it starts. You have to go. You have to condition like you're going to play 100 plays a game. Now, sometimes these defensive players and you know Austin Jackson on you know, special teams and stuff, those, those guys are playing 80, 90 plays a game. But you have to condition like you're going to play 100 plays a game every game. You have to be ready. Now, when you get in the game, yeah, you'll sub more. You'll do different things. But you have to be ready to go at that tempo. If you have a defense on their heels, you don't want to sub. You don't want to bring in three more receivers or you want to bring a different guy in because then the defense can bring their entire – can change all 11 guys that they want to. But if you're running no huddle, that's the thing with no huddle is if you don't sub at all, the defense doesn't have time to sub. Now, if you sub out one guy, the whole play is held up. The referee stands over the ball. Yep. You know, they'll take their time running off the field as much as possible. You know, the, so if – and it depends on what tempo they want to run out. So I think that's one of the questions. That's one of the first questions that needs to be asked about this offense is what tempo do they want to run it at? Do they want to go blazing fast, or they want to? Is it going to be a similar no huddle, but look check to the sideline every play? And how much? How much? How much uh, is that going to vary? Are they going to do do the same thing all the time, or are they going to bounce back and forth? How is that going to work? I, that's one of the questions that I'm sure came down in the meeting 
when Clay Helton and Cliff Kingsbury decided that they wanted to work together is, okay, well, what tempo do you want to go at? Because if one guy wants to go super fast and the other guy wants to be slow and plotting, that's not a good harmony. That's not going to work out so well. Agreed. Dave says, what has to happen to get Coach Helton to change his mindset toward running a nasty, hard-hitting physical program? Do you think that's even possible? Thanks for all your great work you do for us fans. The easiest way would be a time machine. I mean, if you go back 20 years and then there's less restrictions on how much you're practicing, there's less restrictions on taking care of players and stuff. And, I mean, we still see players dying in the game of football, in college football. There was just a player, the whole thing in Maryland, was with a player dying. So there are still issues with conditioning and how much it should be done and you know, you know, know, having the right medical staff there. But the game is much different than it was 20 years ago. I mean, if you remember the ESPN documentary on Bear Bryant, the Junction Boys thing, like that's a completely different style. It's a completely different game, really. You know, it's played much different now. You know, there's a lot of different rules changes since then. But that's if you want that type of thing, that's just not going to happen. Now, if you want what Alabama is doing and they are physical all the time, that's what you have to get to. So, without getting into a time machine, you got to be more like Alabama. Uh, I think that you have to have more physical practices. You have to be willing to tackle every practice. Now, I don't mean that you have to go and do the Oklahoma drill every time, but I think you had to have some live tackling drills all the time so that you were fundamentally sound as far as your tackling does on defense. And, you know, you can do that some with the dummies, but you have to be able to just regularly tackle. And that's what walk-ons are for. You know, you can tackle them. You don't have to hurt them or anything, but like you have, to go, you have to go through a tackling drill and bring someone down. Like you can't just practice on a dummy or you can't just teach it up on tape all the time. You can say, hey, you got to get your hat here. You got to do that. You have to physically do it and point it out every time physically. So I think with the tackling, that's one thing. The offensive line, I think you have to do more actual, you know, padded practices and padded, you know, run blocking and different things like that to where you're you're physically pushing someone, you're physically getting your hat in front of someone, those type of things. You can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And most of the times, or sometimes that will work. As as the as we continue to go, the generational changes that have happened, you know, over the last twenty years and the, the tension span, that makes it more difficult to just talk about it and get it to work. You have to get out there and guys learn differently. Some guys, you know, can learn kinetically. Some guys learn, you know, just by seeing it visually. You know, it, it it's different with everything, and you have to be able to appeal to everyone. You have to be able to work different ways so that everyone can learn. Yeah, and I think the past couple seasons is just proof that you need to be able to physically do it to learn. It's not something that you do on tape. And you could see as the season progressed, USC's defense, their tackling looked more and more like what they did in practice, which was thud or putting your arm out. And then the player would kind of jog and stop because that's what they did at practice. But in games, that didn't work, you know? And then like, even when it comes to the offensive line, they did one-on-one drills, one a defensive player versus offensive line player, um, during a part of practice, and that was pass blocking. They were better at pass blocking this year than they were at run blocking. You Very know, good point. so actually, we have proof that them doing certain drills to help certain areas actually worked. Whereas when they didn't, when they let off the gas, that's when the fundamentals started to break down. Steve Sarkeesian's first year at USC, I think it was his first year. 
when he would emphasize something, he'd be like, we did not tackle well this week. And he would emphasize the next week in practice, they were really good the next week. A turnover margin. That was the thing. He was really mad about the turnover margin one week, and then it, it, he like they just drilled it over and over again. And, and that's what, now, he was doing it one skill at a time. And sometimes that works. You know, it, it worked necessarily for the next week and stuff, but, uh, you know, sometimes doing one uh, skill at a time works to an accumulative and you get it all. Sometimes you gotta you gotta mix it up different things, but it was really good when they would focus on one thing and the next week it would be a complete turnaround. Like, hey, we gotta we gotta do better on blocking on the edges or whatever it may be, and they would they would focus on one thing and they'd be really good at it. USC, I think, needs to do better at that. And you know, certain skill sets where hey, we're we're lacking in this. We need to focus really hard on that instead of having. Well, let's just do the same pattern, same practice all the time. I would love to see them change some things and be like, all right, we've got to focus on this one thing. U.S., we're not getting turnovers. Spend the entire, you know, if you're going up against Oregon State and you think you're going to be able to dominate their de- uh, their offense, defensively spend the whole time working on turnovers. Sure. I mean, you're not obviously you're not going to spend every single minute on it, but, you know, just super emphasize certain things. If you're not getting – and the problem was you are, are – where, why I think that would work is because the problem with, for USC was it wasn't that they would have an issue and then they wouldn't have it the rest of the season. No, there was the same problems over and over and over this season. So if you're having the same problem, why not super emphasize one of those? Just try to, like, we got to get rid of this one thing. We got to get rid of the false starts. We, get, we can't have a false start the rest of the season. Whatever drill you have to, to work on false starts, just do that for an hour in practice. I'm going to tell you what, those offensive linemen are going to hate it. But those offensive linemen are probably also going to be like, if I if we get another false start, we're going to do this next week. You you, you better not false start because yep. I'm gonna because I'm gonna get on you then. And then you build on a thing because you do the same thing. It gets repetitive and it, and you don't like it. You're going to get mad at the person beside you if they force you to have to do that again. Exactly. It's like running suicides. Like if USC, I don't know if if this is even a thing for USC's football program. I haven't seen them necessarily do this. I once we had a once run suicides on the football field every five yards. Yep. Talk about awful. Yeah, that is absolutely awful. And it was like, okay, you had a certain amount of time to do it. And if you didn't do it, well, hey, we're going to give you guys two minutes to rest, and then we're all going to do it again, and we'll give you 20 extra seconds or whatever it was. And it was like, if that one person is at the end, you're like, Mother, you, you better come on. You better come on right now. We we got to go. We got to go. Yeah. And like, one, you're you're building that camaraderie with the guys. Now, maybe they do this in their conditioning and stuff they yeah. do during the offseason that we don't get to see. But, you know, I, I feel like that if you focus on one thing and it's, really, really bad and you don't want to do it anymore, you, you'll you'll learn the habit. You know, Pavlov's theory there. Dogs, know? yeah. But it it brings back to one of the points that I had made earlier is accountability. Where is the accountability? If someone gets a false start, who's mad? Who feels like, ooh, something's going to happen. My job isn't at stake, you know, or, or the guy next to me is going to get mad at me. There's no accountability there from from player to, from coach to player, but also player to player. And I think introducing that is a good thing and i think like you said having variety in practice so you're not just going through the motions every day is a good thing um but back to dave's question he says do you think this is even possible i think this is goes back to having fresh blood in the program if you listen to those guys and their advice and the guys you hired um and their opinion i think then maybe you will see changes i think after a five and seven season you have to see changes in practice I, yeah, that's, that's a great point. I, I think it does go back to that. And I think it's the culture of the entire team. And yeah. if you do the same things that you did last year, then you're just repeating the same culture. How are you going to change the culture? The culture is now that you are a five and seven team 
Other teams have yelled from the sideline that you are soft. Other teams, not not just other players, because players will trash talk. Other personnel staff members have yelled at your team, they're just soft, they're soft, go at them, they're soft, you're soft. Okay, how are you going to change that? You can't do the same things you've been doing if you want to change what is being said about you. So I'm curious about that, and maybe it takes different leadership. And you remember what Austin Jackson told me after the game? He said, hey, we need a culture shock. And I asked him, what do you mean by that? How how is that going to work? He said, I think we have a lot of guys, a lot of leaders in my class, me especially, and I look forward to getting to work, getting better, getting a lot better, and making sure everybody else gets better. Now, words are words. What is the action? If he can, if he follows up with that action, I think that's uh, you know a leader there that you're you're looking for, and that's what they need. They need some guys that that are like I'm going to make sure everybody else gets better too. Uh, so we'll see how this team progresses, and we'll hear about it in the off season. Yeah, we'll hear if it's if it's different. Uh, we'll hear if there's guys you know rising to the top as leaders and guys that people are. Yeah, that guy he he's on top of everything. I don't like him right now, but he's on top of everything. From what I've heard, Cliff Kingsbury is on it. He is a a guy who expects the best from himself, and that trickles down to everyone else. And I think that's something that may have been missing from the offense. I think we saw that from the defense, and especially from the defensive leaders, where they expected um, a certain level. I mean, if you looked at the field, sometimes Cam Smith would do this thing where he put his his hand above his helmet and like kind of I can't explain it over podcast, but <laughs> uh, he'd make this motion. And I asked like two years ago, and he said it's it's a standard that we play to on the defense. Like we play this high, we play to a, a high standard. Hmm. And so the, if you look back at games, that's what they were doing. So on the other side, I don't really see that a uh, uh, continuity from the offense as a whole trying to play to a higher standard. So I think having Cliff in there is going to be interesting. And Cliff Kingsbury is a guy that gets to the office at 5 or before 5 a.m. to get his workout in before the players get there to get their workout in. And I think that sets a tone. And so and I don't want to demean any particular coach, but if you have a coach that is large and overweight, not I'm not talking about Clay Hill here. I'm talking like Eric Mangini Big or something. Like that guy is not going to say, well, you guys got to get in here and work harder. Like that guy's gonna have to have the uh, what, what was Charlie Weiss's key phrase, the schematic advantage. Yeah, because because they're not gonna outwork anybody because they're not taking that lead from their coach. Now maybe their strength and conditioning coach or someone else gives them that. But the head coach, if he's getting in there early and he's working out, and that was Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. That's the only reason I bring it up because he was a, at, uh, as the head coach there. Um, do you take that from him? Like, oh, he's in here. I gotta uh, if I want to impress him, especially if I'm a young uh, younger. Offensive lineman or wide receiver. I'm trying to get that extra time. I'm trying to get my extra reps. I'm going to get there early too. Oh, hey, coach, I didn't realize you're here. I'm just getting some extra work in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Oh, always, always try to make sure that you're in the eyes of the coach doing something extra. Sounds good. It's a coach. good way to go. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Dave. That was a pretty long answer. Uh, moving on to Eric. Our time machine's the easiest way. <laughs> yeah, that's the easiest cough out answer. Uh, Eric says, Hi, guys. I love the show. Thank you. Well, thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. He says, Do you know if USC is looking for a defensive coordinator or are they set on Clancy for the 2019 season? What it sounds like is that Clancy will be back unless Clancy does not want to be back. Yep. That's a pretty simple answer. If he decides to take another opportunity somewhere, then they will go searching for a defense coordinator. But it does not seem like at this moment that they're going to try to hire over him. And then we have one final question from Nick Kearns, which is Big Nick 21. He says, oh, what yeah. are your thoughts on the basketball team getting ready for conference play? <laughs> yeah, 180. A basketball court. Woo! Woo! Oh, Ryan's upset now. Uh, I, just, I was actually just at basketball practice. I stopped there and, and checked them out before they head on their way to Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
Really big game for USC because they do not have any quality wins in the non-conference, so this is a big game for them. It's still the biggest thing for them is they're not healthy. Kevin Porter Jr., probably not going to play on Saturday is what I was told. Chuck O'Bannon still working his way back from the broken hand. And that's been an issue for them. And and Andy Enfield told me, he's like, hey, we can't use that as an excuse. No one's going to feel sorry for us. No team we're playing is going to be like, oh, well, they got a couple guys out. Maybe we'll sit one of our guys. That's not going to happen. No, but they the the continuity issues they've had because they don't have they don't have the guys that have been there. You know, it's not the same team as last year where they had veterans that have been there three and four years and played together three and four years together. So when they lost to DeAnthony Melton or they lost Benny Boatwright, they still had you know those older veteran guys that have been leading the program for multiple years. They don't really have that this year, so they have issues with the chemistry and the continuity, and that's something that has to come along if they want to do well in conference. And that's probably their best bet to to succeed is to kind of try to you know jump in and maybe take a uh, a conference title or or something like that. They have the the talent there. Can the talent play together the right way? That that's kind of the question. You know, I asked him actually. I was just kind of curious. It's like, what do you think of TCU? He said, "Man, they have a really good mix." And that was one of the first things that Andy Enfield said about TCU. And, and that's what USC has to get. They have to have a good mix of guys that, that know how to complement each other. And so far, it hasn't fully come together. And I think if they get everyone healthy and they can practice all the time together, that would be a huge improvement for them. Uh, so I, I think that they've, they've got to start playing better, more cohesive, and we'll see if it starts this weekend. That's something they worked on. He said they had a good week of practice, said that you know it started defensively. They focused on defense you know, really hard this week. And uh, if they play defense together – They'll play much better, uh, and you know this is a big game for them because you know it, it's their last real opportunity for a big non-conference win. And going on the road to Tulsa, you know, even though it's not a true road game, it, it would still look really good to be be an Oklahoma team. That has been your basketball minute. Do do do. Woo! No more basketball and no more podcasts. That's all we got. Holy smoly! We did get a question from Albert who wants to know when there's going to be a next head coach, but we don't talk about that. No, I ain't get into that. Um. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I'm curious to see how th- it's going to be a big week for USC. Mm-hmm. You know, next next Wednesday is the early signing period. When it opens, there's three days in, in that early signing period. But everyone's going to sign on next Wednesday. Can they close with a couple guys? Can they bring in a couple of big-time guys? Because, you're, like I said, you're losing a lot of talent on that defense in particular, but just overall experience and talent there. So you need to be able to backfill guys. You need to be able to you know, have more depth. Um, so for positions like the defensive back where you know they're really thin on numbers and you know at the safety position, stuff like that, they've got to you know, be able to recruit those positions. So this week's really important for them. And also to see – what they do with those last couple of hires that they have, you yep. know, available. So what are they going to do at the defensive back coach's position? What are they going? To, I think they have one more after that. Where do they use that? Because they can kind of put it anywhere. They carry as the the wide receivers coach. They could. If they want two wide receivers coaches. They could have an inside and outside guy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They could hire a quarterbacks coach and just have Cliff be the OC. They could hire. You know, you can move Johnny Nansen. Johnny Nansen is so versatile. You can kind of move him around anywhere. So you can, you know, have an extra linebackers coach. You can do an inside and outside linebacker. There's a lot of different things they could do with it. So I'm curious to see what they're looking for there. Yeah. And also that DB coach. I, I'm I'm curious about that one. There's a lot of options out there. Quality options. That I think they could go get. You know, who do they go get? That's a big question. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. That's shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks for sending in your questions, guys. We appreciate it. We do. And uh, we hope that you'll send us some more next week. It's true. (laughs) Peace. I'm you this week. Oh.